welcome to the Restoration Church Life Podcast. We hope this resource helps keep you informed about the various happenings inside the life of our church and equips you to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Hello, Restoration Church. I'm sitting here with Whitney King, one of our deaconesses. And so, Whitney, just let the church get to know you. You've been around for quite some time. So how long have you been in Washington, D.C.? I've been here about six and a half years. Where did you come from? I came from Georgia. What part of Georgia? Uh, Swanee, Georgia. What else is it? Who else came from Swanee? Our very own pastors and their families. Yes. So you knew Nathan back at Shadowbrook. I think we may have crossed paths, but I don't know actually. Yeah, I don't recall knowing you and Paige well, though my little brother. Um, yeah, I taught Matt as a, I was just a Sunday school teacher. That's right. But I've known Nathan and Andy since I was about 13 years old. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were at the same church, and you, we left to come to D.C. You came to D.C. for what reason? I came for grad school, is at least what I would have told you at the time, and um, still the main answer, but it was... It coincided very much with my learning about the Restoration Church plant. Um, I had visited D.C. for the very first time in March 2009, and a few weeks after that, you and the Knights came to Restor- or came to Shadowbrook Church yes. in Georgia to tell us about this new church plant in Washington, D.C. And at the end of it, Nathan gives us this call. You know, we'd cover your prayers. It'd be so helpful. If you'd like to help us financially, that'd be great. If you have skills, you know, you're an accountant, you want to help with us. And then he says, and hey, if you want to come move to Washington, D.C. and help plant a church, that would be great. And I thought, huh, I could do that. <laughs> and I thought, no, that's kind of crazy. You're overreacting a little bit. And then over the course of weeks and months, I was applying for graduate school. I ended up only applying to schools in Washington, D.C. Um, have loved it here, and God has used this church tremendously in my spiritual life. Yeah, well, he has used you to build up the church. More on that in a moment. Uh, so you get your graduate degree. You start working. Uh, what do you do now? I am a research analyst for World Vision, which is an international development nonprofit. Okay. It's Christian-based. It is, yeah. They love Jesus, try to help people come to faith while meeting practical needs. Would that be a fair assessment of world vision? Yeah, I think you're going to see probably a different emphasis than maybe some other um, faith-based organizations. Some are going to say, we're preaching the gospel and we're helping people as we do it. World vision is going to say, we're helping meet practical needs in the world and professing Christ and word and deed and in all that we do. So that looks really different in different contexts. But without a doubt, the core of their mission is... Um, to love and serve those who are most vulnerable in the name of Jesus Christ. Gotcha. Very good. Okay, so you've been here for six and a half years. What are some of the things that you do in the city for fun? What do you like uh, to do when you're not like at work or serving the church body? Um, honestly, I like to do all kinds of stuff with good people. I okay. think that's one of my favorite things about this city is um, there's just people I love here. So I drink a lot of coffee. I like to read books. Favorite coffee shop? Favorite coffee shop. Or a coffee shop you would recommend. Uh, over in the neighborhood where I work, near 8th Street, there are a couple places that I go pretty frequently. One is called Sadamo. The other okay. is called Uni Bistro. Um, they're both uh, Ethiopian-owned but have different... I don't know. I go there all the time, and I always take people there, and they're my buddies. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, other, what other stuff? Do you drink coffee with people? I drink coffee <laughs> with people. I... Yeah. 
I like to read, um, usually over coffee. I love the outdoor stuff in the city. So the Arboretum is one of my favorite places. Um, I don't live too far from the National Cathedral. So um, a lot of times I'll meet up with somebody and we'll go walk up there, go to the cafe, go to the Bishop's Garden. It's beautiful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the gardens in the back are wonderful. Walk around, drink a coffee, look into the city, see the monument, Mm -hmm. those types of things. It's it's just a beautiful city. So I feel like you don't need a ton of activities or hobbies because just living life around here I find really enjoyable. Yeah, amen. Yes, I love this city. Lots to do, and most of it's free. That's true. (laughs) Which is good because it is not free to live here. (laughs) That, That is also true. Uh, make up for it in other ways. So, a uh, short story of how you came to faith in Christ. Yeah. So, my conversion story is um, fairly simple. You know, I grew up in attending a church that preached the gospel. My parents um, worked very hard to raise us in the knowledge of the Lord. And when I was about eight years old, um, there was a gospel presentation and an altar call at Shadowbrook Church. And uh, I responded. I remember feeling conviction for my sin and believing in God's (laughs) offer of the gospel in Christ. And um, I I don't know that I could, at this point, recall a bright light moment, but I know that I understood and I responded. And um, that church, I think, did a good job, particularly since I was so young, of of meeting with me and talking with me and making sure I understood. And um, I was baptized at that time. Good. And so, so I've been walking with the Lord uh, on an up-and-down journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's part of following Christ, one degree of glory at a time, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the highs and the lows. So you were at Shadowbrook then for a pretty lengthy period of time? We were. Our family moved to a different church in that area kind of in the interim, but then I ended up back at Shadowbrook. Ah. And Shadowbrook is where I was attending and really started to take my spiritual life seriously for the first time in many years at that point in my life um, before I moved to D.C. So um, my conversion is obviously the most important, but I I can remember much more um, tangibly, specifically the way God showed me grace and continued to redeem me after a season of um, rebellion and, and just disengagement even as a Christian, it was something I thought about a yeah. lot and often is what overwhelms me the most about God's grace is that he wasn't, um, he, he could have just said, well, I saved her. She's not going to hell and she's not killing anybody and she's clearly not listening to me. So give her up uh, yeah. <laughs> for now. But God didn't do that. Um, I knew the truth and much to my deep regret, I, I, you know, I didn't cross any of the big lines, but I wasn't living for the Lord. I was not. I, yeah, I wasn't following Jesus, really. I didn't reject the faith, but I had a very misunderstanding of what it meant to feel conviction, what it meant to be, to repent, what it meant to live in grace. So I'd kind of gotten to this place of, I'm clearly not living right or like a good Christian. God's really tired of my empty promises, so I'll wait until I can get it together for real, and then I'll start trying to be obedient, um, and I don't know if anyone's ever tried that, but if they have, then they're probably still waiting to start being <laughs> obedient. Um, so it was at Shadowbrook again that I feel like God really um, pursued me and reminded me that he's not done with me. He could still use me, even with all the mistakes I've made. Even having made those mistakes, 
as a Christian. That was um, one of the biggest points of shame that I had to wrestle with. So it wasn't my big, like, I'm a biker drug addict conversion story for Jesus. Like, I was a Christian, and I sinned against the Lord, and yet he was um, kind and gracious and merciful to me. That's who God uses, broken people, because that's all he's got. (laughs) Right? But But that's the beautiful thing. Even, you know, God can take our sin and our shame and our rebellion and his sovereign goodness uh, work it out uh, to where it magnifies the, the right. glory of his name. Yeah. So we, Even we, as we're being sanctified in the faith. Because yeah. I think sometimes, um, depending on how you grew up in the church, you can have this idea of you can have the worst past imaginable, but once you become a Christian, the clock starts now, you better start living right and being good. And absolutely we're changed and we're convicted and we're transformed. But we're transformed one degree to another. And so to look for and rest in and fight out of God's grace as a believer has been um, probably probably one of the things I feel like I can speak most passionately yeah. to. So, so that goes like so. Where have you seen God grow you? I mean, obviously over the course of being a Christian for a couple decades now, uh, but just where have you seen Him growing you personally lately in your own walk with Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been been reminded of a few kind of basic truths, but they work themselves out um, day to day. So one of those things being reminded that my my belief and faith in Christ is is saving and powerful and it matters because it's in Christ, <laughs> mm-hmm. not because it's what I think. So that, that our salvation, that truth that God and his power is outside of us is a is a good reminder to me as I try to live out this faith and I kind of confront confront my own hypocrisies when I'm talking with friends who aren't believers and, and you, you we're living in a world of unbelief and so it is um, a great comfort to me and it allows me to move forward in faithfulness remembering that Christ is true. Um, our salvation is secure because of our faith in Him. And if I'm not saved right now, then there is nothing in my power to do to be saved. And that might sound a little bit morbid, but it is incredibly freeing to me and, and gives me space to have a lot of joy and obedience because I'm not spinning my wheels um, being overly introspective. Yeah. So then that understanding our, our faith, our, the object of our faith is what matters. It's in Christ. That's external and up, not inward and performance-based. Absolutely. Uh, good. Anything in particular about the book of Philippians that has been helpful to you? Um, yeah, I think words like helpful and encouraging sound very rosy. Or, or convicting power. and challenging. Absolutely. Maybe that's... Convicting and challenging. I, I mean, I think many of us, if we're honest... Um, Humility is a challenge, and sometimes that comes in the form of um, prior arrogance where we tend toward those things. Sometimes it just comes with an over self-absorption and wallowing and pity. I have been in both of those places in my life, but right now I'm most convicted of not necessarily those two extremes, but just how prone I am to be entirely self-oriented. So even if it's not, I'm so good or I'm so bad, I in just always seeing the world through my lens. How does this affect me? How do they affect me? Even when I'm doing something good, 
if I feel like I have been able to choose to do a good thing, then I'm happy and happy to serve. If I somehow feel backed into a corner and that I have to do the right thing, then I, I bristle at that and I'm, I'm, I'm not acting out of love. So the idea of, um, what humility is really calling us to that, um, that it's leads us to our joy and that conversely, if we're, being humble, I'm using air quotes right now, <laughs> humble and loving um, out of a duty or just because we don't want to feel guilty later. That's that's not pleasing to the Lord. That's not the spirit of Christ. So I've been convicted in the kind of those nuances of it's not always the act that I complete, <laughs> but uh, what's driving that. Ultimately, even my good deeds are about me, and that is... Um, that's a cause of grief, but also a call to repentance and, and reliance on the Lord. Like, man, there is nothing I can do about that except put myself in the Word and in prayer and pray that God will change me because I'm very tied to myself. Yeah. yeah and I think yeah, these past couple of sermons, especially just on the humility, uh, looking at Christ's humility, our humility, uh, being convicted of that, but also knowing that God rejoices. Even though we may not have perfect motives, mm-hmm. He still rejoices when we seek to obey and honor and love Him. Because um, we're trying to be like Christ, and He takes pleasure in Christ. Right. That's a good thing. And that it's already, you know, in this strange paradox of, of the faith, we're striving, but it's already done. You know, having yeah. this mind among you, which is yours and which is, present tense, yours in Christ. Yeah. So, um... It's strange. It's a mystery. It's a paradox, like almost everything. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it gives us fuel to keep just walking. Like Amen. faithfulness is the goal. I think that's the thing that's really been pressed on me lately. Greatness, uh, impact, like that is not the goal. Faithfulness is the goal, and then God will do with that what He will. Yes, He will. Yeah. Uh, so any any one or two ways or people that you've been encouraged by at Restoration Church. So as you live life inside the the gospel community here, ways you've seen others living out this humility, or as we saw in Philippians 1, letting your love about more and more. Specific mm-hmm. ways you've seen that at play inside the life of our church? Um, yes. Yes, there are definitely ways. I'm uh, trying to think of even what to call out. I mean, there's been just practical ways that um, my community group, my, my roommate Catherine, who's also a member of the church, has been able to just step in and, and meaningful daily task. I needed a prescription. I couldn't get to it. She picked it up. But praise God, that is helpful. And the world really gives you no reason why your roommate should do that for mm. you. Um, so that's a, a very little way, which paints the picture of a big way of God's provision because... Um, I, you know, for those who don't know me, I'm 30, I'm single, I wrestle with, is God taking care of me? And God does, not through one person or one tiny family unit, but in many, many beautiful ways. So that's a practical way. I think the other way that I've been mindful of a lot lately is um, I've been convicted and I've been thinking a lot about racial justice and specifically how the gospel um requires that, fuels that, gives In fact, you just went to a conference in Atlanta that you were the minority. I was. uh, Both in presence and also just in terms of aim of audience, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was was very much a welcome guest to a gathering that was not about me. Um, 
which is it's just a good thing. I mean, again, talking about Philippians, it is it is good to be reminded that the world is not about you or people just like you. So, yeah. um, but so you've been thinking about racial justice, and you've been encouraged in the church in some way. I've been, yes, I've been encouraged specifically um, by brothers and sisters in the church um, from different ethnicities and backgrounds who have just been very humble and loving to me. You know, when I, the more I confront the reality of the world, the history of our country, frankly, of even our own denomination, there is every worldly reason um, for people who look like me to be condemned, um, to be judged harshly. Um, But yet, as the people of Christ, we have the gospel. We live out of gospel reasons and motives. We don't have to stop with the world's judgment. Um, and so people in our church have been just loving and yeah. humble to me and and um, gracious with my humility and yeah, I'd say I'd even say for me, I've had conversations with most people like Mel and Quentin and Eric and others, and they've been gracious with my ignorance. Yes, and just willing to have conversations that I don't know. And if you know, I'll tell them if I say something stupid or insensitive, I'm sorry. And they're so kind in helping me understand what it's like to view from their perspective of the world, right. which is so helpful. And it's it's a beautiful model of the kind of. Um, Christ-like humility we've been talking that that yes. though Christ had every right to treat us a certain way, he didn't count that as the thing to be grasped. Out of love, he humbled himself to the point of the servant, to the point of being hurt. And so though there you know though people have every right to to be offended and to expect more of us in, in certain settings and certain ways, many people have showed me Love. They've opened them up themselves up to me saying something unintentionally, but possibly very hurtful. They they have shown love and grace to me, as um, as God has just revealed ways that I personally and we as a church can can grow in faithfulness and holiness and the truth of the gospel. And so, I felt very loved in that, um, especially because I'm kind of a coward and I'm scary to walk into a space where I'm not the smartest and I'm probably not right. And I might look foolish and my foolishness might hurt somebody that those are all my worst nightmares, but God and his kindness has given gracious and kind brothers and sisters in the Lord to be a part of with me. Yeah. yeah, I think of Ephesians 3.18 where it says, Together we comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Mm-hmm. In other ways, we help each other to understand God's character more with each other than ways we wouldn't understand alone. Absolutely. And I think it's those types of conversations that help us do that. So. Absolutely. And not only... Uh, I, you also serve the church, so one of the ways you do that is the deaconess of hospitality. Yes. So tell the church in all your glamour. It's a very grand title. <laughs> of your role, what do you do? Is the deaconess of hospitality? Um, I do some practical logistics um, and and help coordinate, honestly, the work of other people in our church who are serving really faithfully week in and week out. So uh, specifically, that means that. Um, I help set up the Lord's Supper. Um, I usually have help with that, but I'm responsible to make sure it gets done um, whenever we do that. I also check in with the people who schedule to make sure that we have greeters, to make sure that the 
um, stuff is set up each week and then all of the signs and the, the ropes and all the stuff that you probably overlook each week gets taken down and put away in the very precise places. Um, so there's there are people who are specifically scheduling and other people who are specifically doing that, but in my role I help kind of oversee and stand in as backup if, if we're missing any of those on a particular week. Yeah, which is exactly what deacons and deaconesses do. If we read Acts 6, the elders are saying, listen, we can't neglect serving the food on the tables, but at the same time, we can't give up our preaching and praying, as it were. And so let's mm-hmm. figure out a way to do this, some of those logistics that they're taking care of. And so I praise God for your work there, because it means I don't have to show up at 8, you know, and set everything up by myself or neither of the pastors, but I can show up at 9.15 or 9.30 even, and there's stuff already happening. Mm-hmm. And so praise God for the way that you serve our church in that way. And may the Lord continue to grow you. Uh, hopefully you'll stick around D.C. for more time to come. You're one of our long-timers. <laughs> Though you are not a founding member, you were at the covenant ceremony. I was there. I was an observer. I, that hap- I, I tell a lot of my how I got to D.C. and these sort of, again, air quotes happened to be. I happened to be in D.C. that weekend um, doing some of the, the grad school admission stuff. And so I got to observe the covenant service Um and just, yeah, get to look in on what would soon become, you know, one of the most integral parts of my life mm-hmm. to date. So. Yeah. Well, sister, thank you for the ways that you serve the church body. And may God grow us both and all of us one more degree of glory uh, that we might enjoy Christ all the more. Yes. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Restoration Church Life podcast. May God continue to give us the grace to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Washington, D.C. and beyond.